The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Luke. Glory to you, Lord Christ. After Jesus had finished all his sayings in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. A centurion there had a slave whom he valued highly and who was ill and close to death. When he heard about Jesus, he sent some Jewish elders to him, asking him to come and heal his slave. When they came to Jesus, they appealed to him earnestly, saying, He is worthy of having you do this for him, for he loves our people, and it is he who built our synagogue for us. And Jesus went with them. But when he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends to say to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Therefore, I did not presume to come to you, but only speak the word and let my servant be healed. For I also am a man sent under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes. And to another, come, and he comes. And to my slave, do this, and the slave does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him. And turning to the crowd that followed him, he said, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. When those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the slave in good health. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise you, Spirit of the living God, be known to us that we may perceive you with all our senses and proclaim your love to the ends of the earth. Amen. Amen. So here we are. Last Sunday's celebration and send-off was wonderful. As we said goodbye to Tony and Lou, as we listened to Tony's last sermon, and as we liturgically brought our relationship with him as our rector to an end, the love was palpable. The Holy Spirit was present. The body of Christ was evident here. And when I say here, I don't mean spatially. I mean in us. So now here we are with God in us still. Things are different now without Tony. And I will admit to a few waves of sadness about that this past week. But this place is not as changed as I had anticipated Because the God in us part is still true. Anytime a significant change has happened, I think it's wise to take stock and then look deep to see what new things are looking to sprout forth and what old things might be getting overlooked. We need to put on our prophetic listening ears and our prophetically seeing eyes in order to know how best to proceed. And so I think it's rather appropriate that we have three different kinds of prophetic role models in our scripture today. First, the prophet Elijah, 
What a fascinating story. Elijah goes about to help the world know that God is real by giving God a space to show up visibly and dramatically, a space to consume Elijah's offering of animal, altar, wood, and even water in fire. Second, the prophet Paul, who noticed that the early church was starting to get confused by what he refers to as accursed gospels, different gospels, gospels that were not the gospel of Christ. I have a hunch that these were not just gospels that revealed a different angle of the God of love. These were gospels that led people away from love in sneaky and attractive ways, ways that were easier, more socially acceptable, probably more self-serving than the gospel of Christ. These false gospels still exist in many forms, preaching wealth and power and division among people. When Paul realized the appeal of the false gospels, he wrote the letter that we heard the beginning of this morning, warning the Galatians to be careful to not be led astray. The third prophet that we heard about is the Roman centurion in today's gospel. He somehow understands Jesus' power and reaches out to Jesus in faith. I think of this centurion as a prophet. Granted, the scripture doesn't refer to him as such, but I think of him as a prophet because the faith that he had in Jesus was not part of his upbringing or culture, nor was it acceptable to his peers. So it must have come to him through the deep kind of knowing that comes when we are open to what God wants to reveal. These three stories have some common threads. First of all, none of the three aforementioned prophets were people pleasers. They all go against the norm in some way, and they all take great personal risks to communicate what they knew of what God was up to. Secondly, all of them seem to have an almost superhuman confidence in God. Elijah is absolutely sure that God will show up in a visible way for those who waited to see if Elijah's God was real. Paul is so sure of his vision of Christ that he knew what matched up with it and what did not. The centurion somehow knew that Jesus was not only powerful enough to heal, but powerful enough to heal from a distance by simply saying the word. The magnitude of faith in these three stories is rather startling. And I want to just note that this can have the dangerous effect of making us think that if we aren't as confident about God as these three seem to be, we must ourselves not have prophetic voices. But I don't think that that is true. Sometimes the stories that are written down are just the extreme ones with maybe a little bit of editing. It's a bit like the social media phenomenon wherein people post only the most interesting moments of their lives. And then everyone thinks that their life isn't that interesting in comparison. 
And yet, our lives are interesting because our lives, each and every one of them, is a God vessel. And our faith is probably stronger than we realize. The third thing I noticed, and maybe the most important thing as we move on to explore ourselves as prophets, is that not a one of these prophets is perfect. Elijah comes across as an absolute rascal toward the worshipers of Baal, taunting them and manipulating their feelings. And Chris, thank you for reading the whole story and not leaving out the bracketed part, because that's the rascally part. People leave it out so we don't have to see how rascally Elijah was. Paul had been a persecutor of Christians before his conversion and even after his conversion when he began his ministry. Far from perfect. Just read the epistles and perhaps you, like me, will get in some arguments with the man. And the centurion? Well, we don't know if he wanted his slave healed for selfish reasons or altruistic ones. We don't know if he befriended the Jewish community in order to increase his power over them or if he really respected them. Beyond his visionary abilities and his spiritual perceptiveness to Jesus, he was in all likelihood a complex and fallible man with a huge dose of human power in his hands. Not a one of these prophets seems altogether worthy to me. And yet, God used all three of them to speak to the people around them and to speak to us. Makes me wonder what God is trying to use us for. Trinity Church is a prophet to the world. In case it is not clear to you already, Tony was not the prophet of Trinity Nor am I, nor is any individual here. The prophetic voice of Trinity Church is our communal voice, our way of living our Christian faith and serving the world in Christ's name. It is our willingness to move the world closer to God's dream and toward whatever visions of that dream we catch glimpses of. We are a prophet already. And we have a lot of work to do to become more prophet-like, more prophetic. We have a lot of listening and seeing and perceiving to do. Prophets cannot speak for God unless they are constantly listening for God. We have to continue to build and maintain our relationship with God. Prophets cannot introduce others to God unless we know ourselves to always be in intimacy with God. We have a lot of people-pleasing to let go of. Prophets cannot please both God and society at every turn. We are a prophetic community. It's what drew me to this place. Perhaps it's what drew you to this place, too. And yet we can only continue to be a prophetic community in this world if we both continue to do the work of prophets as a community and as individuals. We need not be worthy in the human sense. There is no human approval or process, 
No ordination or credential, no social grace or eloquent word that will make you a prophet. There is simply the work of looking into the deepest part of yourself where God lives and speaks. And then mustering the courage again and again to speak of what you found there. And if you need some guidance, some help along the way, take today's collect with you. It is an unintentional prayer for the work of prophets through the simple fluke of the English language. Listen to the prayer again. Oh God, your never failing providence sets in order all things in heaven and earth. Put away from us, we entreat you, all hurtful things, and give us those things which are profitable to us. What is profitable? We must ask, what are the things that enable us to be prophets in the world? Because maybe an unintentional fluke in the English language tells us something about what God deems profitable. Maybe God's currency is held in how many of us are willing to be prophets. How much are we willing to give toward living and communicating God's challenging call of love here on earth? If we can but listen for the heart of God deep in us, And then go out into the chaos of society and live and speak God's love and justice in our workplaces, in our schools, in our families. If we can but enter into meetings and traffic jams and malls and Facebook conversations and voting booths as prophets, then, and only then, do we know What the heck we are even doing here on a Sunday morning? We are worshiping the one who invites us into divine work and blesses that work. We are refueling and refreshing as a band of prophets for God in the world seven days a week. Prophets of love, compassion, peace, and justice, assisting God both as a community and as individuals in God's redemptive work, one prophetic act at a time, because that is what God deems profitable. Amen. Amen.